Morning, One Church. How you guys doing? Fantastic. Somebody's awake, so. Um, all right, I don't know who you are, but keep on screaming. Um, okay. Um, actually, I think that's my wife. So, uh, <laughs> all righty. So, um, we are ending our series today entitled Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, and today is going to be a doozy. Um, it's not going to be a fun sermon. In fact, I, I kind of warned you guys last week. We actually gave papers out at the door. Uh, this is kind of a PG-13 rated sermon. Uh, so we're going to have a great time here at One Church today. It's going to be miserable. So thanks for coming to One Church. Uh, it's going to be fun, I promise you. Um, and it's going to be misery all at the same time. In fact, today's sermon is kind of a, it's an odd one because it's, we're finishing a series, but we're actually starting a new series. And, and the new series that we're starting is called Happily Ever After. And we're going to be looking at marriage and we're going to be looking at dating. So whether you're married or single or you're single again or uh, you're married and you don't want to be married, that's today's talk. Um, but uh, we're going to have a great time over the next four weeks as we talk about relationships the way God uh, wants them uh, to happen. So, and today, like I said, we're ending with a big one. And, you know, we've talked about some really uh, odd things that Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, I drink my, uh, drink my blood, my flesh. We talked about that last week. We also talked about, you know, um, uh, pop off stuff, gouge out eyes. It was really fun. Uh, so, uh, but today is going to be a really difficult one. In fact, today would be uh, a great day that if I wish if Jesus was here, I would invite Jesus to come up front and I would sit down and Jesus would be the guest speaker. And uh, I would go and I would sit by my wife and I would hug her really and hold her really tight. And Jesus would be able to come and preach this message. And then after he preached, I would get up and I would pray. And, uh, and then next uh, week you would come back and I would ask the question, hey, what'd y'all think about Jesus and his sermon? And y'all would like, he's kind of hardcore. And I'd probably say, you know, we maybe shouldn't ever invite him back, right? And in fact, you would probably agree with me. Say, yeah, Chris, why don't you get back up there? Or Patrick or Dave or Luther. Uh, But Jesus, he was really extreme. Because today, we're going to be, and this is really the tension of where we're going to be at today. Um, Jesus uh, throws out some really difficult stuff when it comes to divorce and remarriage. and And he gives us the ideal. But I know all of us, the tension is... Many of us don't live in the ideal, and we live in what's real. So as we go through today's talk, and as we look through this, I just want to kind of give you guys a heads up. There's going to be a tension. And my biggest thing I want to encourage you, do not leave. Because as as tough as this is going to be, and I know some of us are going to feel condemned, and that's not my goal at all whatsoever, I need you to stick to the very end, because the very end, we're going to see Jesus' heart in all of this. And we're going to see that he really isn't condemning. But see, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus, and, and I love what he said about divorce and remarriage. And, and I, it, I mean, it's one of those things that for the first four to 500 years in Christianity, the church just kind of took what Jesus said at face value. And, uh, and because in that culture, everybody was kind of over marriage. And nobody got married. And especially if you were a Roman and you were very affluent, you didn't get married because then if you got divorced, you had to share your wealth. In fact, it's kind of like how marriage is getting today. 
people just don't get married because, or if they do, they have prenups and all of this stuff. But, the, but the, for the first 500 years of marriage, Christianity, what attracted people to Christianity is that, that marriage just kind of happened and it just lasted forever. And people looked at marriage and they're like, wow, these Christians, they're in it for life. And it was a very safe place for a woman. In fact, one of the very things that, again, drew so many people to Christianity was it was so uniquely strong and uniquely solid. But see, what happened is Christianity, it became kind of acceptable. It became the state religion. It became in vogue. And when that happened, really all hell broke loose. But for the first four to 500 years, they saw Christianity, they viewed marriage correctly, that they saw marriage as a reflection of our relationship with God. Marriage wasn't about just, hey, I want to be happy. Marriage was about, this is what our relationship with God looks like. And you could no, you could no more be unmarried than you could be unsaved. So consequently, again, what was the thing that drew people to Christianity was that marriage they would go back and they would just, they would go, wow, this is amazing. They, they kind of stay in this until one of them dies. They stick it out, even when things are not going well. So, um, now here's the thing, I'm going to kind of throw this out here, is that in our culture, we're so loophole-oriented. Um, we, I mean, we kind of think this, okay, God, God made the standard, but if I can find the loopholes to get out of this very difficult situation, this very difficult standard, and we're very loophole-oriented. Um, and, uh, but I don't think at the beginning, Christianity wasn't like that. Um, but, and some of you, again, I, I know because I've counseled so many of you guys and some of you ladies, um, you thought this, that if I could just get rid of the first marriage then my life would be so much happier. And, and the divorce, um, it happened, and you got a piece of paper, but you realized something, that it really wasn't over. That stuff still was happening. There was still carryover. There was bleed over. And whether it was because of the kids, and who's going to do this, and who's going to pay for that, I mean, legally, it went away. But it just, emotionally, it didn't go away. And the kids, and who does this, and all of this stuff. But here's the reason why I need to speak on this. Because there's been a lot of people talking about Christian marriages in our, in our country, in our culture. With the Supreme Court decision, and all, all of the things that happened, and, and has been happening with the redefinition of marriage. Um, you know, what does a Christian marriage look like? Uh, but unfortunately, as Christians, I don't believe we have a leg to stand on to get upset about what a Christian marriage looks like. Because just as we're upset that people have defined or redefined marriage or whatever that looks like, we have done that a long, long time ago. Because as we're going to see today, Jesus defines marriage much, 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 much differently than you and I define marriage. It's a more serious thing. So I'm encouraging you to don't walk out. Don't leave. And as, as difficult as this is going to be, and, and I get this, I understand this, this, this topic affects everyone. It does. We all know people. We all have family members. Some of us, we're in the room. We're, we're in our second, third, fourth marriages. I want to let you know, I am not going to be hurling stones at you. I'm not going to be condemning you. Jesus doesn't condemn you. This is not what this is. But there's going to be some tension here. 
And the tension I want us to feel this morning is that Jesus is going to give us the ideal. Jesus is going to say, okay, this is the standard. And Jesus puts the standard much higher than we as churches and as Christians do. And i got to be honest with you, the reason why marriage is in such a bad place in our country today isn't because of Democrats, isn't because of liberals, isn't because of Republicans, isn't because of Supreme Court justices, isn't because of Hollywood, it's because Christians, people in the church, we had decided, you know what, Jesus' standard is just too high. So let's find a loophole. That people inside the church, the more people inside the church get a divorce than people who are outside the church. So how dare we get our drawers in a wad? By the way, that's not in my notes. Somebody's going to send me an email about that when I already feel it. We get our drawers in a wad because we don't feel like that somebody defined it a certain way when we have totally redefined it from what Jesus originally did. So I'm just going to be honest with you. This is going to sting today. I wish I wasn't preaching this. I hope you come back. All right? But today, all of us are going to struggle with this. And it's going to be miserable. Y'all ready? Are y'all ready? I hope we got our asbestos pants on. All right? And let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. Let me, now let me see this. Before we dig in, I want to tell you just how bad it's going to get. Because at the end of Jesus' teaching today, (laughs) the people whom he taught, the disciples, this was their response. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, then it's what? Better not to marry. Now, some of y'all going, amen, all right, because you married, all right, I get that. But let me tell you this. If by the end of the day, if, if you're not leaving scratching your head going, man, maybe I shouldn't have got married. If, if, I'm going to tell you, if that's how you respond, then you're taking Jesus' words how they're supposed to be taken. Because all of us, we can find a priest or a pastor or a commentator to say, no, Jesus really didn't mean that. But here is what the people who heard Jesus speak, this is how they responded. You know what? Maybe it was just better. It would have been better for us never to have gotten married. And any other response means that you and I don't understand Jesus' teaching on this. All right? Now, the context for where we're going to be getting into, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. And the first part of this passage is from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the cool thing about the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus, it's his most famous sermon, and everything that he said was just extreme. It was crazy extreme. And anybody who says, hey, I love the Sermon on the Mount, that just tells me you really haven't read the Sermon on the Mount. Because, I mean, this is the part where it's gouge out your eyes, cut off your hands, pray for your enemies. Uh, if somebody gives, asks you for one thing, give them two. If they ask you for your shirt, give your coat. That you're to, you know, always forgive. You're to always love. And it's just like, what? I mean, who does this stuff? Right Now, the Sermon on the Mount is what your life and my life would look like if we had perfect faith in God. I've got I to repeat that. That's a good one. That the Sermon on the Mount is what your life would look like if we had perfect faith in God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. If you believe that there's a kingdom beyond this kingdom, a value system beyond this value system, if your life would look like the Sermon on the Mount. So as we mature as believers... We mature into more and more of the behaviors that Jesus talks about 
in the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus, he just says this, all of this extreme stuff, and he sets the bar way, way, way high, 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 we're going to see. And he, he's going to quote, say, you've heard it said, and this is what Moses says, but I tell you, and he raises the bar. And at the end, you, you, he raises the bar so high, you're like, who can do this stuff? The answer, no one. That's the point. You see, Jesus was talking to a bunch of religious people who thought that their stuff don't stink. And Jesus' whole point of this was, you know what? All of us are in the same boat. All of us are struggling. All of us are sinners. All of us need God's grace. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through very, very quickly um, through a, a bunch of passages we've looked at, and I want you to see in context what Jesus had to say about all of this, and it's just going to be rapid fire. So here we go. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, Jesus, wait. I mean, you know, it, it's okay to take one look. No, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Oh, time out. I'm going to do what with my eye? You, it has been better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay, hell. I've got a question about hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And throw it away. Okay, now I'm missing an eye, I'm missing a hand. It would be better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Second time you mention hell. i got a question about hell, Jesus. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. That's right, because that's what Moses said. But this, but I tell you. Well, time out, Jesus. Every time you say, but I tell you, you set the standard so far high I mean, this is what, but this is what you're talking about. It, it, the standard goes like way up. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, causes her to become an adulteress. What? And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. The person marries who? And again, you've heard it said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you've made. But I tell you. Do not swear an oath at all. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. You, you, hell, divorce, oaths, you're just going too fast. But it's the God's throne, or by the earth, it's footstool. Okay, time out. TV, time out. Okay, you're going way too fast, Jesus. I've lost two body parts. Half of me is going to hell, and I'm an adulterer? This stuff is just too hard. I can't be a Christian. And Jesus says, you're right. You I'm trying to get you, trying to get everybody to see that all of us fall short. But guess what? The reason why Jesus came is for people who fall short. Now, let's go back. Rewind. All right. Yeah. Verse 31. It has been said, and what he's saying, this is the common, this is what everybody believes. Anyone who divorces his wife, because it was a male-dominated society, women really couldn't divorce their husbands for the most part. It was kind of a male Dominated society, that, uh, that his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And everybody's going, yeah, that's exactly right. That's what you do. And the reason why they did this was so that a woman could go to her brother or her brother-in-law or to another man and say, look, I've been kicked out by my husband. I'm not just playing the harlot. I've been kicked out, and I need somebody to, to protect me and to provide for me. And they're going, yeah, that, that's, that's what Moses said. But I tell you, uh-oh, raising the standard, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, interesting, it's a little Greek word, porneia, 
causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, okay, wait, so Jesus, I think maybe you don't understand terminology. You see, when a person is divorced and they remarry, that's a new marriage, right? I mean, when a person is divorced, they can't commit adultery because the old marriage has ended. And if they hook up and connect with somebody else, they're no longer married. So how can you, with any more detail than this, Jesus, just carte blanche say this blanket statement, hey, if you remarry, you commit adultery? And she becomes an adulteress. And then, again, if we're not clear, if anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery, Jesus, okay, you're confused, see? Adultery is when you have sex with someone who's not your spouse. You're talking about divorce. A divorced person can't commit adultery because they're not married anymore. To which Jesus would just smile and say, well, maybe there's something about marriage that you don't understand. Now, Jesus goes through the whole Sermon on the Mount, and the, in the audience, there's some of these Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they're, they're professional religious people, and their whole goal was to try to trap Jesus. They're angry at Jesus. They're frustrated at Jesus because all the crowds are following Jesus, and they're not following them. And so they're going, okay, we're going to test, we're going to trap Jesus. And their whole point is they're trying to get Jesus to contradict what Moses said. Because Moses was regarded as a prophet. If Jesus contradicts Moses, then that means Jesus isn't a prophet. So their whole goal is to test and to trap him. And there's some people there and they're going, oh, we got Jesus now. He's contradicting Moses. We got him. So what they do is they form a posse. And they all get together and they all say, okay, you're going to ask this. And they get together and and they're going to come to Jesus and they're going to pretend like, casually approach Jesus, pretend like they have sincere questions about divorce and remarriage, but really they're just trying to get him, to zing him, to trap him, to contradict Moses. So Matthew 19.3, this happens a uh, um, a few months after the Sermon on the Mount. Some Pharisees came to what? Test him. They're not looking for real information. They're trying to trap him into saying something that they can hold against him. They asked, is it what? Is it lawful? Now, that's a big deal because, remember, they're trying to get him to contradict Moses. Moses wrote the law, all right? Um, So is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In other words, Jesus, tell us when it is okay for a man to divorce his wife and be good with God and to be good with the community. I mean, give us specific circumstances under which, in, uh, which a man can divorce his wife. Now, in this day and age, there were two primary reasons that people kind of gave for divorce, and they were extreme. The first idea about divorce and remarriage, the first one was this, that a man could divorce his wife for any and every reason. So uh, a man could say, I divorce you, I divorce you, and I divorce you three times, and they're divorced. You don't even have to write anything down. This is, how many of y'all, you parents, your kids, don't raise your hands by the one, two, three method, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Um, this is kind of where that comes from. You know, she burned the chicken the first time. I divorce you, that's one. Second time, I divorce you, that's two, right? And don't get to number three. Right? So, it, I mean, a man could divorce his wife for any and every reason. All right? So, that's one extreme view. The other view was that a man could not divorce his wife 
for, for only except for one reason, if she was found unfaithful during the engagement period. Now, this is something we all understand because we've all heard about the Christmas story, right? Remember the Christmas story when Joseph finds out that his fiancée Mary is what? Pregnant, exactly right. Right? In the English phrase we read in most translations, it simply says this. And Joseph decided to put her away quietly. That little phrase, put her away, is the single, it's a single word in the original language, and it literally, it literally means divorce. And we find it used as divorce all throughout the New Testament. But in our English Bibles, it doesn't say divorce because in our culture, you can't, how can you divorce somebody you're not married to? But see, in that culture... The promise of a young lady to a young man by the parents was legally binding. So if a person did not want to marry that other spouse, you had to get divorced even though you weren't yet married. So those are the extreme views. You can divorce for any reason or you can divorce for only one reason. And that is some type of immorality. So the guys are coming to see Jesus, the Pharisees, and they're trying to get him in, a, in, a, in between a rock and a hard place. And this is what Jesus says. Haven't you read? He replied. Now Jesus is talking to the most educated group of people in Jerusalem. And he says, haven't you read? I mean, he's talking to these Pharisees who literally... I mean, when you become 12 years old, you had to memorize the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some of you are like, Leviticus who? Right? I mean, you had to memorize all of that. And by the time you completed Pharisaical school, you had to memorize the entire Old Testament. 39 books. I mean, some of you know John 3.16, but you had to memorize Leviticus 3.16. Deuteronomy 3.16. Isaiah 3.16, and by the way, there's a 3.17 and a 3.18, right? So they're kind of going through this. So they, they have read. I mean, they are the most educated person about this, and yet Jesus is saying, I, this has already been covered. The, the answer to your question is already available. You missed it, guys. Haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning... The creator made them male and female. And I'm sure the Pharisees are thinking, that's fascinating, Jesus. All right? Now, it really is. But what we're asking, the question we asked was, what is the circumstances in which a man can divorce his wife? You've changed the subject, Jesus, and don't you dare tell one of those parables because nobody understands those things. Just be plain. Right? Just speak it out. Right? In what circumstances can a man divorce his wife. This is so important because in that culture, and like our culture today, when it comes to divorce and remarriage, we want to look at the current circumstances, don't we? And again, I I could sit down over coffee, over a table, and you would tell me, you know what, he did this and she did that, and she promised that this was going to happen and it didn't, and my ex did this and she threatened that, and and here are the circumstances in which I find myself, and therefore I was, you know, I, I got a divorce and my divorce was justified, and I have a clear conscience. But, and this is kind of what they're saying. What are the circumstances in which divorce is justified? And we, we look for loopholes. But Jesus says, well, let me take you back to the beginning. Jesus, my marriage didn't start in the beginning. And Jesus says, maybe there's something about marriage that you don't understand. The reason why you're looking for a loophole, the reason why you think there are justifiable loopholes is because there's something about marriage that you don't understand. And he takes him back to the very first book, Genesis, which literally means beginnings. Now think about this. 
in the book of Genesis, there's Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, there is no plan B. You follow me? If Adam wants to get rid of Eve, there is, there is, there is, there's, Jill is not hanging around, right? Now, some of you are thinking, well, then, you know, what do you do? You stick like glue. Well, that just seems so permanent. But that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, there was no plan B in the beginning. There wasn't any. There was just Adam and Eve. And he says this. And then he quotes from the very very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And he said, and in quotations, this is God talking. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be what? And be what? We all got to say that this is an all-skate morning. And be what? United. And look, guess what happens? And the two will become what? One flesh. And we're going to be talking about this. This is kind of a cool sermon because next week we're starting a marriage series. And it's called Happily Ever After. It's going to be fun. Right? By the way, uh, every time I preach a marriage series, it's always a struggle because Kim and I are usually going at it. Right? Some of you are thinking, the pastor argues with his wife? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you thought you were jacked up. Hang out with me for about a day and you'll be going, man, I think I'm going to go to another church. Because guess what? All of us are imperfect, all right? So, but we're going to be talking more about this one flesh next week because sex is more than just sex. Sex is more than just physical. Sex is this idea that, you know what, when the two become one flesh and they become united, and and you know what, it's going to happen automatically whether you knew it was happening or not. Guys, when you unite yourself with a, another person, guess what? You have become one flesh. And ladies, the same as well. They are one flesh. They are what? They are what? One flesh. Jesus says, okay, maybe you didn't know this. Maybe nobody told you about this. But when a man and woman, and they're married under some authority, and in this case, God's authority in the very beginning, Genesis, and they become together physically, they become one. The two become one. In other words, there's more to marriage than just a license and a honeymoon. There is. The two become something that neither of them were before. The two become one. So Pharisees, what you're asking me to do and, and, and what you're asking under what circumstance is, is can one become two? Well, that's a really difficult question. Because you don't understand that they were two, and now they've become one. He continues. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, and then there's this little sentence that many of us have had in our weddings. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not, what? Separate. And the disciples are thinking, but that sounds so permanent. Yeah, I mean, like, what if my husband's kind of a creep and my wife's a jerk? And, and what if my parents said, you just need to leave that bum? And, 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 and you know, the, your guys are going, your guy dudes, whatever you call those, guy dudes are hanging out with you, and you're like, man, you got to get rid of her, right? So you went to the attorney, and you got a piece of paper. But how do you take, how do you make one and divide it into two? How do you make one, have one, and it go back to two? In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. Don't attempt to unwind what God has made one. Don't attempt to unwind 
what God has made one. Okay, well, that kind of leaves me paralyzed, Jesus. I mean, I don't really like have a, like a plan B, and she promised this. And again, we want to go to the betrayal. We want to go to the circumstances. We want to go to the details and I, so we can feel justified. And I get that. But Jesus is saying, you know what? That may be your reality, but here's the ideal. You've heard it said, but I say. You see, we're going to have to look at this ideal. And I know some of you, you're struggling through this because you're thinking, my egg's already scrambled. You know, I had a first marriage. And I'm on my second. I'm on my third. What do I do? Well, hang on. There's the, t- the reason why I don't want you to leave yet. All right? But, I mean, we got to first look at the ideal that Jesus is talking about. We can't dumb it down. We may want to, but we can't. See, before we move on, are you going to be able to learn and embrace the ideal that, you know what, you can't unwind what God has made one? You can't. In other words, here was the Pharisee's question. Is it permissible? And Jesus says, I'm not even sure it's possible. And that's why I say to you, if a man divorces his wife and she remarries, it's adultery. Why? Because you may have recognized the divorce, but our Father in heaven did not recognize the divorce. Well, guys, that means I kind of feel stuck. I mean, maybe we shouldn't have got married in the first place. And Jesus goes, right. Now, if you're kind of baffled, shocked, and confused, <laughs> so are the Pharisees, right? I mean, they've been trying to trick and trap Jesus, and suddenly they're kind of backed in a corner, and they're scratching heads going, who came up with this dumb question, Right? I mean, daggum, we, we were trying to trick Jesus, and Jesus, is, he asked a better question than us. So what they do is they say, okay, let's go back to what Moses said, and that's kind of what they did. They're in this uh-oh mode. Why then, they asked, Pharisees asked Jesus, did Moses command, by the way, that's a mistake, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And they're going, wait a minute, Jesus, okay. I understand about the whole Adam and Eve and there wasn't any plan B and, you know, that divorce shouldn't be a part of the picture, and I get that. But Moses talked about this certificate of divorce. What are you going to do about that? And Jesus replied, look at this, Moses permitted, he didn't command, he permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were what? Hard. In other words, he said, look, Guys, you know what was going on back then. You know the culture and the history of our people. That men in that culture were just kicking out their wives left and right because they burned this or they didn't clean that right. Or, and it was a male-dominated society. And women were uncared for and they had nowhere to go. And men were the problem. So in order to protect women, in order to protect women, in order to protect women, Moses said, you know what, give them a certificate of divorce so that they can go away and say, look, I'm not a bad wife. I'm not just running around on my husband. My husband kicked me out so that they could be provided for and cared for. Moses gave the certificate of divorce not because that he recognized somehow that that the one became two. No, not at all. Moses did this to protect women who had no other recourse and no other place to go because of these legal issues in Israel. But look at this. Jesus says this. But it was not this way from what? The beginning. He's talking about Genesis. In other words, divorce was a concession to deal with the breakdown of marriage because men, males, would not take care of their wives. And then Jesus goes on. I'll tell you that if anyone divorces his wife... And then Matthew gives us this clause again, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. In other words, 
You may think that you've unwound what God has made one, but God doesn't think so. So that's when a divorced person, so even when a divorced person, even with a certificate in hand, even when they go to the judge, the judge slaps down the gavel and says, okay, you're no longer married. You have a divorce. Jesus says, huh, it's not that simple. You think a piece of paper unwinds you, but you can't unwind what God has made one. And then afterwards, the disciples pull back from Jesus and they say this next verse. This is the situation between a husband and a wife? It's better not to marry. But some of you are going, I totally agree. Right? Now, here's the thing. Let me reel us back in for a second. And again, it's the reason I didn't want you to walk out. Because you know what? It's easy to look at Jesus' words, and it just sounds so dadgum condemning. Doesn't it? It seems like he's picking on divorced people. And it seems like Jesus is wagging his finger and he's saying, you, 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 you. But I just want you to stop and, and, and let's take a broad bird's eye view of Jesus' ministry found in the Gospels. Those four stories about Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus never, ever, ever pointed his finger to downtrodden or sinning people. Jesus never, ever condemned anyone. The only people he pointed his finger to, you know who it was? Religious people. Because they thought their stuff didn't stink. And Jesus is going, you're missing the point. You've heard it said, but I tell you, and I'm raising the standard, and you feel vindicated. And what you should feel is not good enough. Because it's only when you realize that you can't do it, that I can come in and do it for you. So, Think about this. As you read the Gospels, I mean, he, he, Jesus, they bring a woman to him that's caught in the very act of what? Adultery. And what does Jesus do? Jesus shoes away all the people that's wanting to condemn her. Get out of here. Leave her alone. She's caught in the very act of adultery, and Jesus says this, I don't condemn you. I mean, I, I'm not going to get God in abide not condemning you. Right? In fact, this is so important because when you read it, he says, you know, and again, this is so heavy. I get this. But you've got to look at the big picture of what Jesus did. This is the ideal. But Jesus, he was ministering to real people. And I know we have real people in here today. Your eggs are already scrambled. And you're going, yeah, that kind of everything's kind of out of the bag already. What am I supposed to do? Well, you've got to get this. Jesus, who loved you so much, who loved that woman caught in adultery so much that he died for her. In fact, listen to what, how much Jesus loves us. John three sixteen. We all know this, right? Can we say this out loud together? For what? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know that, don't we? Do you know the next verse? Look at the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to what? I'm sorry, excuse me. I didn't quite get you on that one. Condemn. Does Jesus condemn? Does Jesus condemn? No. In fact, Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Now, how how is Jesus going to save anyone? Because you've heard it said, but I say, he sets the standard so high that everybody feels like, man, I can't do that. And that's when Jesus says, 
I can do it for you. That's when I can save you. You see, the only person Jesus can't save is the righteous person. The person who feels, I, you know what, I can do this. You are outside of God's graces. But let me tell you, the rest of us, that's when we're like, man, I can't do that. Jesus says, gotcha, I got it. I can do this for you. I can do this. And that is the whole point. Now, hear me. If Jesus doesn't condemn you, one of the questions I get is this. Okay, if I'm a divorced person, if I get remarried, then how do I stand here at the church? Well, let me answer that question. You know where you stand at the church? With all of the rest of us jacked up people. In fact, what did Jesus say in the sermon? That if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, how many of you all ever looked at somebody lustfully? Okay, the rest of Okay, how many of y'all are liars? How many of y'all are liars? Okay, seriously, I'm going to have to get, everybody raise your hand. Thank you very much, all right? You see, where you stand with the church is all of the rest of us people that don't measure up. That's where you stand. And if you think you're perfect, you may leave one church. I think that's what Jesus would say. You can get out. Because let me tell you, the church that I have come for, the people that I have come for, they realize that they don't measure up. So where do you stand? If you've been divorced or remarried or divorced again, you're in your third marriage, you're standing with me. A person who struggles with lying, a person who struggles with looking with somebody the opposite sex. Pastor, you, look, you, you have those thoughts? Yep, I do. I do. And guess what? So do you. So do you. So where do you stand? We're all in standing. We're all in need of God's grace. So as we close, I just want to end this. And this is kind of where I wish Jesus was here because I know these are difficult. His teachings are difficult. But let's look. We've seen him the ideal. Now let's look at the real. I want to give you three words that I just want to be able to help you as you transition. Try to figure out what do I do with all this information? I mean, what do I do really? Right? Because some of you are like, man, does that mean I live in a, in a perpetual state of adultery if I've remarried? I don't think so. I don't think so. The verb tense doesn't suggest that. But it does mean that, number one, we are to embrace the ideal. Embrace the ideal. For some of us, we just need to quit shucking and jiving and saying, Jesus really didn't say that. Because we're, we're dumbing down what Jesus said. We have to embrace the ideal, knowing that we, we may never, ever reach it. We, may, we probably are not going to reach it. And some of you are like, oh, I'm, you're kind of puffed up. You're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm still on my first marriage. Okay. And Jesus would ask this question. Have you ever looked lustfully at somebody? Hmm? Well, got to be careful. Self-deception is the worst type of deception. In all of us, we can become self-righteous Pharisees outside of God's grace. So we need to embrace the ideal. We gotta, we gotta say, yeah, okay, Jesus, this is what you said about marriage. We gotta stop looking for loopholes. We embrace the ideal. Our big idea today, you can't unwind what God has made one. Can't do it. Embrace the ideal. Embrace the ideal. 
And some of you, you're like, so that means should, I'm in my second marriage. That means I should get out? Oh, you wish. Right? You're like, okay, I got, I got my verse. I can leave. No. I think Jesus says, you know, you got to embrace the ideal. And then the second word I want you to remember is I want you to confess. I want you to confess what is real. Because here's the reality. Some of you, the eggs have been scrambled. You can't put them back together again. Your first marriage is over. This does not give you a license to get out of your second marriage. I think if Jesus was here this morning, he'd say, love the one you're with. Sounds like a good song, doesn't it? Love the one you're with. That how you glorify God, that how you move on from here is that you confess what is real. And the reality is this, that God, I haven't lived up to your standard. God, I've failed. God, I've sinned. For some of you, you know, it's like before you jump into a second or third marriage, again, let me just say this. I mean, how did we, how did we become Christ followers? I'll tell you how we, we become Christ followers because we embrace Jesus' teaching. And we become a Christian when we finally say, you know what? You're right, God. I'm not a mistaker. I'm a sinner. We embrace it and we confess. I can't be good enough. And you know what happens when we do that? God's grace fills in the gaps. It fills in the gaps. Some of you, you've never owned your sin of your first marriage or getting out of the excuse or the loophole, whatever. You never owned your sin. And because you've never owned your sin, you've never experienced God's grace. So you confess it. Be transparent with your Heavenly Father. Listen to what God is saying to your conscience. The Holy Spirit is telling you with right now. And then last, as we close, you need to ask. You ask. Ask for what, Chris? You ask for grace. I'm going to say something here. Don't send me any emails, but you need to ask for second marriage grace. And some of you are like, where is that in the Bible? It's not. I just made it up. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Is that all of us, we need grace. What is grace? Grace is there is a gap, and I need God to fill that gap. That's what grace is. Grace is, God, I'm here, and I need to be there, and under my own power, I can't get there. There's a huge gap. God says, I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the strength. And if you're in a second marriage right now, you already know this. You just didn't know the terminology. You already know that there's a gap. There's an intimacy gap. There's a transparency gap. There are ghosts in your marriage. There are shadows in your marriage. There are memories. You're playing comparison games. And you thought that all of that was behind you when you had the certificate saying divorce. And you're wondering, why is this so hard? Because God is saying, you know what? He's looking at you, not condemning you, but he's saying, you don't really understand what marriage is all about. You can't unwind what God has made one. So what you need to do is you need to begin to pray. You don't have to use my terminology. You just need to say, God, I've messed up. This isn't my first marriage, but this is my last one. I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to it. I am not divorced. You make divorce a four-letter word in your marriage. Nobody threatens it. Nobody hints at it. And you say, God, how I'm going to glorify you from this point on is I am going to stick to it. God says, don't divorce. He didn't say anything about murder. 
so you may kill him later. I'm just joking. Ne- needed some levity. I put it out there, all right? I'll tell you, my wife and I, no lie, our first year of marriage was hell. We've been married 23 years. Got married in 93, so I guess it's 22. Get ready to go on 23. And uh, December 11th of 1993, and our first year of marriage was a struggle. We fought and fought and fought. And I'm going to talk a lot about in our, in that in our marriage series coming up. You know, the one thing we made a commitment to do, we're not going to talk about divorce, ever. It's not the ejection seat that any, any of us are going to pull. And we always threaten that first year of marriage, I may kill you. And there may be a shallow grave, but I'm not divorcing. So you make that commitment. You make that commitment. You ask. You ask. Now again, you think about this. Can God answer that prayer? God, give me grace. <laughs> you betcha he can. I mean, you think about it. In, in, the, in the genealogy of Jesus, there are so many people that got hooked up in that genealogy that had no business getting hooked up. David and Bathsheba. I mean, the most famous affair in the world. Did God want that affair to happen? No. But you know what? They both confessed. And you know what? They had a son named Solomon who was the wisest man who ever lived. Can God redeem a bad decision? You betcha. And God can do that in your marriage today, in your second marriage, in your third marriage. I'm telling you, he can. And I tell you, when you ask God for his grace, he will freely, he will freely give it. So when you do that, you open the door to allowing God to move mightily in your life. Let me say this. I'm going to close with this. If you're here and you're like, okay, I recently got married. What do I do? I mean, daggum, I, I wish I hadn't heard this sermon. Right? I wish I'd have gotten married before, and then I could have had second marriage grace, so whatever. <laughs> what you need to do is you just need to pause, and you need to ask for God's grace, because all of us need God's grace who don't measure up. And by the way, how many of us measure up? None of us. So you say, God, I need your grace, and then I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to make a commitment that, from at least, that you take at least two years from when you got divorced, and you just spend some time it being you and Jesus Christ. You go to counseling. You, this breakup of, the, of a relationship may not have been 100% your fault. It, by the way, it's never 100% anybody's fault. Can we just be honest? We all have a percentage that we've got to play. You take 100% responsibility of your percentage that you gave to it. And you say, God, Jesus, I want it just to be me and you right now. I don't need, an, I don't need to bring another third party in this. I need to date you, Jesus, and I need to be okay when it's just me and you. Because if I'm not going to be okay when it's just me and you, adding another person is not going to fix this. Now, as Justin plays, we're going to pray. And I'm just going to let him uh, play a little bit um, because I want you to just kind of sit on this. I don't want anybody leaving the door yet. Just just take a couple of minutes, and Justin will dismiss you. But I just want to say this. Even if you're struggling through this, and even though you may be on a, a your second marriage or whatever, and you can't go back, I get that. But wouldn't it be amazing if our next generation had this standard that Jesus had about marriage? Wouldn't you agree? You know, we may have messed it up. I got that. Let's take us out of it. But your kids, the next generation, do you hope that they stick to it? Of course you do. 
Imagine what America, what this church, what your family lineage would look like if your children said, you know what? I can't unwind what God has made one. And I may not be happy, but I know I'm going to stick to this. Because happiness will change. Happiness blows like the wind. And God never called us to be happy. He called us to be like Jesus and to be holy. Let's pray. God, I'm so glad, Lord, that you didn't show up in this earth wagging your finger at everybody and saying, you should have, you should have, you didn't, you didn't, you don't, you're, I condemn you, I hate you. God, you, you, you could have done that, but you didn't. Jesus, your word says that a broken reed you will not break. That, Lord, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you more burden to bear. No, I will give you rest. And Lord, all of us, I pray that all of us would realize that we don't measure up. That the pastor of this church does not measure up. That the people of this church does not measure up. And Lord, when we don't measure up, when we fall short, when there are gaps, Lord, I pray that your grace would fill those gaps. And that we would never, ever, ever point our fingers at other people and condemn other people because you, Jesus Christ, don't do that. We love you. And I just pray in the silence of this time that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and tell us what.